In our first session, I'd like for us to study together the subject of Israel and God. Israel and God. And the first major thing we have to see is the fact that Israel has a unique relationship with God that he doesn't give to any other people upon planet Earth. Again, Israel has a unique relationship with God that God does not give to any other nation here upon planet Earth. And if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6. And this is what we read. Moses said to the people of Israel, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Notice the word holy. The word holy literally means divided. And uh, to be divided from other persons and things, usually in the sense that you're different, you're distinct, maybe even unique in contrast with other persons and things. And so when Moses said to the people of Israel, you are a holy people unto the Lord your God, what he's saying is God has divided you from all other people upon planet earth in the sense that he wants you to be different, distinct, unique in contrast with these pagan Gentile people who have rejected me as the true and the living God and have invented false gods and goddesses on their own to worship. And what he's saying is, this is God's intention for you, Israel, to be different from the other nations in the fact that you worship exclusively the only true and living God, the one who demonstrated his existence and authority by bringing you supernaturally out of your slavery and bondage from the, the nation of Egypt, the nation of Egypt. And he's saying here, God has given you a unique relationship with him that he doesn't give to any other nation here upon planet Earth. And it's important to note, this is not a temporary unique relationship that God established with Israel. It's permanent. In uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 23, we read some interesting statements along these lines. And David, being moved by the Holy Spirit to pen these words, this is what he wrote. And David is actually speaking to God, 2 Samuel 7, verse 23. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name, and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemst to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods, for thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee for how long? Forever. Thou hast uh, confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever, and thou, Lord, art become their God. David, being moved by the Spirit of God, was motivated to pen these words. This unique relationship that God established with the nation of Israel is permanent. It's not temporary between God and the nation of Israel, which means that's still in effect between God and Israel in the world today and will be going right up through the end of world history, even during the millennium, etc. Now, the second thing we have to see that is the, the basis of this unique relationship between God and Israel. 
On what did God base his decision? To single out the people of Israel from other people for this unique relationship with him as a nation. Well, Moses, in, back in Deuteronomy 7 and uh, verse 7, pointed out to the people of Israel, it's not because you were greater in size than any other people. You're kind of the smallest group of people, at least in Moses' day, in contrast with other nations. So it had nothing to do with their size, uh, greatness or smallness in size. But he told two reasons that were the basis of this unique choosing of God for Israel with him he doesn't give to any other nation. The first one is this. God had already made Israel's ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, special objects of his love. Again, God had already made Israel's ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the special objects of his love. If you were to look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 37, we have a statement to that effect. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 37, where Moses says to the people of Israel, and because he loved thy fathers, referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, therefore he chose their seed after them and brought thee out in his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt. He's saying one of the reasons God chose you, the people of Israel, for this unique relationship with him is because he had already made your your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the special objects of his love, the special objects of his love. But then there's a second basis for this unique relationship God established with Israel, and that uh, we are told in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, going back to Deuteronomy chapter 7 again, And he says in verse 8, but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your father, fathers, has the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The second basis of God singling out Israel for this permanent unique relationship is the oath that God swore into effect with their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what did he mean by the oath that he swore into effect uh, with their ancestors? Well, to get the answer to that, we have to go back to Exodus chapter 32, and we'll look at verse 13. Exodus chapter 32 and verse 13. In this instance, Moses was speaking to God. He was speaking to God, and this is what he said to God in verse 13 of Exodus chapter 32. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now here, the word Israel is not referring to the nation, but to Jacob. Because remember, God changed Jacob's name to Israel, and that's why uh, Jacob's descendants are called the children of Israel, the children of Israel. So what he's saying here is really, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I've spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. He refers to two promises that God swore into effect with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and those are two of the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. So the second basis of God singling out Israel for this unique relationship permanently with him as the God of the universe is this Abrahamic covenant, that God took an oath, he swore into effect this covenant, 
and that that would be a covenant forever. As we'll see later on in the second hour, we're going to take a look at the Abrahamic covenant and all the implications of it. So the twofold basis of God singling out Israel for this unique relationship with him forever is the fact that he'd already made their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the special objects of his love. But secondly, God would keep the oath covenant that he swore into effect with their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, the very fact that God has singled out Israel permanently for this unique relationship strongly implies to us that God has a unique purpose for that nation. And that's the third major thing we want to see. The first one is Israel's unique relationship with God. Second thing we've looked at is the basis of this unique relationship. But now the third thing we want to look at is the fact that God has a unique purpose for the nation of Israel. And when you look at everything the Bible says about this, it, it makes it obvious it's at least a threefold purpose. At least a threefold purpose. First, God has determined to glorify himself through the nation of Israel. He's determined to glorify himself through the nation of Israel. Uh, turn, if you would please, now over to the prophet Isaiah. And we'll go first to Isaiah. Uh, chapter 43, and we'll look at verse 7. Isaiah, chapter 43, and verse 7. In the context, God is talking about the people of Israel. And notice what he says in chapter 43, verse 7. Every, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. God said, I created Israel for my glory. That's one of the reasons I brought it in existence. I've created Israel for my glory. Then go over to uh, chapter 44 and verse 23. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains of forests. Every tree therein, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Again, chapter 43, verse, uh, verse um, 23. God has glorified himself in Israel. Then go over to chapter 46 and verse 13. Chapter 46 and verse 13. Where God is speaking, I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. Notice what he calls Israel. Israel, my glory. One of the reasons God established this unique relationship permanent with Israel is to glorify himself before the world. Now, what do we mean by glory? Well, the, the word glory in the Bible refers to what is impressive or influential concerning a person or thing. That's the essence of glory. Glory is whatever is impressive or influential concerning a person and thing. Some examples of that. In the Hebrew text of Genesis, Jacob's wealth is called the glory of Jacob. What that means is Jacob was such an excessively wealthy man, that's what impressed other people with Jacob and gave him influence in the lives of his contemporaries. And then Joseph's very powerful position with the Egyptian government in Genesis is called the glory of Joseph. And what that means is it was that very powerful uh, 
position that Joseph held in the Egyptian government that impressed people with Joseph, made them sit up and take note of him, and gave him tremendous influence in the lives of his contemporaries. Therefore, when God says, one of my purposes for Israel is my glory, he says, through that nation, the way I deal with it, I'm going to work through them to impress the rest of the world with who I am and how great I am so that I can have life-changing influence in the lives of multitudes of people all over the world through the ways in which I deal with the people of Israel historically. Now, in order to find out how God is doing that, we've got to go back to Deuteronomy again, but now to chapter 28. And if you've never done this, I would encourage you to maybe even this afternoon or this evening sit down and read very carefully through Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's a very critical passage in the way God deals with the nation of Israel and why he does so. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses, by revelation of God, was telling the people of Israel, Israel, through your existence as a nation state here in the world, God is going to deal with you in two different ways historically. From Moses' time right up until the Messiah comes in his, his glorious second coming. A twofold way God would deal with the nation of Israel historically. The first way is this God would bless Israel tremendously, more than any other nation, when the nation of Israel would listen to and obey his word that he gave to them as a people and as a nation. Look, if you would, please, at verse 1 of Deuteronomy 28. It shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Israel, if you listen to and obey God's word he's given to you, he's going to put you in a high position higher than any other nation upon planet earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And then he begins listing all the blessings. And then when you come uh, to verse uh, 13, the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. Thou shalt be above only, thou shalt not be beneath, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. Moses saying, Israel... If you will listen to obey God's word that he's given to you, do what he tells you to do, God will bless you more than any other nation upon planet Earth. You'll always be the head nation. You'll never be the tail nation. But then look at the contrast, beginning with verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all the commandments and the statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And then he begins listing all the curses that would come upon them if they did not obey God's word he gave to them. And it's a long, long, long list. One of the curses he points out toward the end of the chapter is God will raise up foreign powers against you if you disobey God, what he tells you to do. And he will use those foreign powers to remove you from your homeland and scatter you among the nations here upon planet Earth. And notice what would happen when they'd be scattered among the nations. Verse 64, verse 64 of Deuteronomy 28. The Lord shall scatter thee among all people from the one end of the earth even unto the other, 
And there thou shalt serve other gods which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest. But the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sore of mind, and thy life shall hang in doubt before thee. Thou shalt fear day and night and shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, would God it were evening. The idea is to see if I'm going to survive this day or not. And at evening thou shalt say, would God it were morning. The idea is to see if I'm going to survive this night or not. For the fear of thine heart wherewith thou shalt fear and for the sight of thine eyes which thou shalt see. Look at those words. That's a graphic description of what at least six million Jewish people experienced during the Holocaust or World War II. When they were taken to those extermination camps, they didn't know in the morning if they'd be alive that night. If they were alive that night, they didn't know if they'd be alive the next morning. Do you know the total world population of Jews in the early 1930s was about 17 million? That was about it worldwide. In fewer than 10 years, the Nazis and their collaborators systematically eliminated more than one-third of the total world population of Jews from planet Earth, some six million Jewish people. Now the question is, why would God deal with Israel in this twofold way? Why would he bless Israel more than any other nation when they would listen to and obey his word? Well, Moses told them why he would. Look at verse 10 of Deuteronomy 28. And all people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. What he's saying is, Israel, when the Gentiles see that you're being blessed more than they are, that's going to arouse their curiosity, and they're going to investigate to find out, why is Israel blessed more than we are? And they're going to see it's because of your unique relationship with me. Unique relationship with me and thereby impress the world with the fact that God's the kind of God who will bless those people who listen to and obey his word. On the other hand, why would God curse Israel the way he described here so graphically when they wouldn't listen to and obey his word? Well, look if you would please at verse 37, what he says to them. Thou shalt become an astonishment. Literally the Hebrew says a horror, H-O-R-R-O-R. Thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations, whither the Lord shall lead thee. He's saying when you're cursed more than the other nations. The, the other nations, they're going to say, boy, this nation really is going through horrendous experiences we never have. Why? Why? It's going to arouse their curiosity. And some of the wording here, a proverb, a byword, in verse 37 what God was saying, Israel, through my historic dealings with you, I'm going to use you as an object lesson to all the other nations of the world. That I'm the kind of God who will bless those people who listen to and obey my word. But I'm also the kind of God who will curse, vex, and frustrate those people who will not listen to and obey my word that I've given to them. To them. God, it is historic dealings with a nation using them as an object lesson to impress the rest of the world with the kind of God that he is, so that he can have life-changing impact in multitudes of people worldwide for his honor and for his glory. And because that's what God intended for them, it's no mistake that he presented that nation 
in what in ancient times was the most strategic geographical location on the face of the earth. The land of Israel is the crossroads of three of the world's great continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. And it was designed in such a way that if people in Africa want to travel by land, not by sea, but by land, either up to Europe or over to Asia, they had to travel right up through the land of Israel. And the reverse, if people in Europe or Asia wanted to travel to Africa by land, they had to travel right down through the land of Israel. So the people of Israel probably had thousands of Gentiles traveling through their nation day after day after day. And they could see firsthand whether that nation was being blessed more than they are or whether it was being cursed more than they are. No mistake, God put that nation in that strategic land. That's why he wanted them there permanently, to be that object lesson to the rest of the world. And it's no mistake, God has restored it to that same place again today. And the greatest display of God's glory to that nation is yet to come during the future seven-year tribulation period, when the whole road's attention is going to be drawn back to a tiny nation state again. And God will have an incredible opportunity to display his greatness, his power. And he's the kind of God who will bless those people who listen to and obey his word he's given to mankind. He's the kind of God who will curse, vex, and frustrate people who will not listen to and obey his word that he's given to mankind. So one of God's purpose for Israel is to glorify himself through that nation. Now, there's a second purpose for this unique relationship with Israel that God has established, and that is to bless all families of the earth through the nation of Israel. To bless all families of the earth through the nation of Israel. You know, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God said to Abram, I'm going to raise up a great nation of you. A great nation of you. And through you and your seed, the nation of Israel, all families of the earth will be blessed. God said the same thing to Jacob in, in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 14. Through you and your seed, all families of the earth will be blessed. God has brought tremendous blessing already to the world, specifically through the nation of Israel. And just to point out some, the Bible, God's authoritative word, has been given to all of mankind through the nation of Israel. As far as we can tell, every book of the Bible, with the possible exception of Job, we don't know who wrote the book of Job. Maybe it was a Jewish prophet. We don't know. We're not told one way or the other. Luke, there's a debate today. Was Luke a Gentile or was he a Jew? Of course, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. But beyond that, as far as we can tell, every book of the Bible was written by a Jewish prophet or apostle. God giving his word to mankind through that nation. And you know the Apostle Paul has something significant to say along those lines in the book of Romans chapter 3. In the book of Romans uh, chapter 3. And you know from the book of Romans in chapter 1, uh, God points out that the Gentiles are terrible sinners and rebelling against God. Then in chapter 2, he points out the Jews are just as terrible sinners as the Gentiles are. And in light of that, Paul apparently anticipates some of his Jewish readers are going to say, well, if we're as corrupt and bad as the Gentiles, then what's the benefit of being a Jew? What's the benefit of circumcision? So look at 
Romans chapter three and verse one, where this is the question says, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. And by the oracles of God, he means God's divine revelation, special revelation God has given to mankind. God chose the people of Israel to be the channel through which his revelation to all of mankind would come to the whole world, to the whole world. And if we had time this morning, I'm sure many of you could stand and give testimony of the incredible blessing you've had from the scriptures, particularly when there's a crisis or you're dying or a loved one is dying. You go to the scriptures, usually the Psalms for peace and contentment and that type of thing. God giving great blessing to the whole world through the nation of Israel's impartation by God's grace and supernatural work of God's holy scriptures for the benefit of all of mankind. Here's another great blessing. He's given to the world through Israel. The Messiah Savior came through the nation of Israel. We're here in Romans. Go over to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And at the end of verse 3, Paul talks about my kinsmen according to the flesh, referring to his Jewish kinsmen. Verse 4, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, whose over all God bless forever. When God determined that his eternal son would come into the world and become incarnated in human flesh to provide salvation for the people of the world, the only way he could become incarnated was through a birth. And therefore, God had to choose a nation through whom his eternal son would derive his humanity by incarnation. God chose the nation of Israel to be that nation, to be that nation. And so Jesus, the eternal son of God, before he became a human being, he became incarnated in human flesh as a Jew, as a Jew. A biological descendant of David, and, right on, and others, right on down the line. He was a Jew. And God's already given great blessing to the world as a result of Jesus Christ becoming a Jew, God's son, and ministering here in the world. One of my Jewish colleagues, Friends of Israel, Steve Herzig, was speaking one day at a conference. And afterward, a tall gentleman with a cowboy's hat on came up to him and said, Steve, I appreciate you and your ministry, but I gotta tell you, I don't like Jews. They irritate and rub me the wrong way. And Steve said, well, let me ask you a question. What's your question? Have you ever trusted Christ your Savior? Of course I have. I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't done that. Steve said, then you've got a problem. What's my problem? You've got a Jew living inside of you right now. (laughs) Here's the third blessing that God's given to mankind uh, through Israel. Salvation came through Israel. Salvation came through Israel. In John chapter four, verse 22, where Jesus carries on a conversation with a Samaritan woman, he said, you worship, you know, you know not what, we worship what we know, in essence, is the true and the living God. 
And he said to this woman, and now this is Jesus, say to this woman, salvation is of the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. That was Jesus, the Savior, who's going to provide that salvation. Is saying to this Samaritan woman, God provides mankind with salvation through a Jew, through his eternal son who became a Jew, incarnating him in flesh. Salvation is of the Jews. Another great blessing he's given to the world through Israel, and we don't have the time to go into this in detail, but some of the greatest discoveries in medicine and healthcare have been uncovered and developed by Jewish medical researchers. It's a long, long, long list of so many diseases they have discovered the cure for those illnesses. Things in tuberculosis and and everything else and all other kind of tests. And even today they're uncovering more and more new things that have benefit to mankind. You know, uh, the Salk vaccine. Salk and the two other uh, men who discovered this cure for polio were Jewish medical researchers. That's just one example. And the list goes on and on and on and on. God bringing blessing to the whole world through the nation of Israel. And let me just quickly, because our, our time is, is uh, going by here rather fast, uh, bring out a final purpose that God has for that nation. And that is that God has determined that the nation of Israel play a key role in the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose for history. He's determined that the nation of Israel play a key role in God's plan and purpose, in the completion of God's plan and purpose for the world in the future. And just some background. When you read Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, you find that when God created man, God gave man dominion over this entire earthly province of God's universal kingdom. The fact that God gave man dominion over the world tells us the original form of government that God established upon planet Earth is called a theocracy. The word theocracy literally means God rule. A theocracy is a form of government in which God's rule is administered by a representative. You see, God appointed the first man, Adam, to be his representative here upon planet Earth. And as as God's representative, it was Adam's responsibility to administer God's rule exactly the way God wanted it administered here upon planet Earth. And that's the way it was for a while. When you look at the last verse of Genesis 1, we're told that God looked at everything he'd made and his evaluation was that all of it was very good. In other words, no part of God's creation had turned against him yet, but it didn't remain that way very long. Because sometime after God completed creation, the highest ranked, most exalted of all the angels God created, a great angel that's described in Ezekiel 28 as the anointed cherub who covers, who was perfect in his ways from the day he was created till iniquity was found in him. This highest rank, most exalted of all the angels became consumed with pride over how great he was. And in his pride, he deceived himself into thinking, I can make myself just like God, the ultimate sovereign ruler of the universe. And that angel began a revolt against God. And he succeeded in persuading other angels to join him in that revolt. 
And when that revolt began, God changed the name of that angel to Satan, which means enemy or adversary, because that's what he'd now become, the great enemy or adversary of God. Now, to Satan's way of thinking, if I'm going to be just like God, I have to have a kingdom like God has a kingdom. If I'm going to be like God, since God has angels serving him in this kingdom, I've got to have angels serving me within my kingdom, and that's why he persuaded other angels to join him as revolt against God. But if I'm going to be like God, since God has human subjects serving him in his kingdom, I've got to have human subjects within my kingdom. But since he's a creature, not a creator, he didn't have the ability to create, for example, other angels and human beings, so the most he could hope for was to get God's human representative on the earth to join him in his revolt. And so you know the story recorded for us in Genesis 3. Satan took upon himself the deceptive form of a serpent. Now the reason we know the serpent there was Satan is twice in Revelation 12 and chapter 20, he's called that serpent of old. The devil or Satan's called that serpent of old. And you know the tragic story, he persuaded Adam to join him in his revolt against God and the fall of man took place. One of the tragic consequences of that revolt was that the theocracy was now lost from planet Earth because God's representative defected from God. And the scriptures reveal that Satan thereby usurped the rule of the world system. And the Bible reveals that ever since, Satan and his emissaries are dominating, controlling the whole world system. This is why when he tempted Jesus, for example, Luke chapter 4, he caused all the kingdoms of the world system to pass before the Lord Jesus. He says, I have the authority to turn all this and the glory of it to whomever I wish. And he told Jesus why he had that authority to do that. Literally what it says, it has been handed over to me. Who handed over to Satan the rule of the world system? Adam did. Because Adam was the one to whom God entrusted that rule of the world system. And so Satan's forces have been dominating the world system ever since. And that's why the world's in the mess right now that's in. This now began a spiritual war between God and Satan. And you can trace this warfare throughout the Old Testament. You can trace it through the life of Christ. You can trace it through church history. You can see how it's going on all around us in the world today. And the prophetic scriptures indicate it's going to continue yet for a while into the future, into the future. Now, Satan's goal for history is to overthrow God as the sovereign God of the universe and replace God with himself as that sovereign God. God's purpose for history, and therefore his ultimate purpose, is to glorify himself by demonstrating the fact that he alone is the sovereign God of the universe and that none of his creatures, no matter how intelligent or powerful, no matter how much time given to try every means conceivable, can ever overthrow him. Now, how does Israel fit into this? Well, God when he had Israel at Mount Sinai, said to them, you are to be a kingdom of priests. God was saying, I brought you into existence for one reason, to be the spiritual leader of the whole world, to be the spiritual leader of the whole world. But Israel has failed God because it rebelled many, many times. It hasn't continued to carry out what God intended to be, the spiritual leader of the whole world. But the scriptures reveal that God will not crush Satan and get rid of him and his rule from the world system. And God restore his theocratic kingdom rule to this planet that began with it, but then it was lost. That God will not do that until the nation of Israel repents of its rebellion against God and accepts its Messiah and Savior. 
And the reason for that is the prophetic scriptures indicate that during the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, when he comes back as the last Adam and restores God's theocracy to this planet Earth, during that time, God's ordained that Israel be the spiritual leader of the whole world. In Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, their capital city, Jerusalem, will be the spiritual and governmental center of the whole world. We're told there that all the nations are going to come to Jerusalem to pray, to hear God's word explained to them by the Messiah, uh, but also, but also to uh, obey what he tells them to do, to be instructed on how God's will is to be administered over them. In Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 6, God speaking to Jews of the future millennium says, the Gentiles, they will call you the priests of the Lord and the ministers of our God. The Gentiles will recognize that Israel is God's appointed spiritually of the whole world during Messiah's reign. In Zechariah, we're told that during that time, Gentiles from all over the world will say to each other, let's go to Jerusalem to pray. But when they do that, 10 Gentiles will lay hold of one Jew and say, you take us with you to Jerusalem to pray and worship because we see God is with you. God will not crush Satan and restore God's theocratic kingdom rule to our world system until the nation that is to be the spiritual leader of the whole world during that thousand-year reign of Christ is itself spiritually right with God. And so he has intended the nation of Israel play a key role in the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose for world history in the future. When God will crush his enemy, get rid of Satan and his emissaries from the world system, God restore his theocratic kingdom rule for a thousand years on planet Earth, but not until the nation is to be the spiritual leader of the world during that thousand-year reign of the Messiah is spiritually right with God. So Israel is still a key factor in the fulfillment of God's future plan and purpose for world history upon planet Earth. God has established a unique relationship with that nation forever that he never gives to any other nation, not because it's better than other people, but because of his intention to benefit the whole world through that particular one nation for his honor and for his glory.